Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 269 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. Now that the summer honey crop has been taken off, my time has been spent extracting frame after frame of honey. This week, I wanted to share how we have our honey room set up, what works well and what caused a slight hold up in the process. Short and Sweet, a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. Hi everyone, welcome back to my podcast and what's been another week of seemingly never-ending rain. I think a lot of beekeepers have had a relatively soggy summer this year and from chatting to a number of beekeepers, it does seem a lot of them have not produced as much honey this year compared to last year when we had that very dry, hot summer. Several of those beekeepers are predicting that they're as much as 50% down and some beekeepers saying their honey crop is down by even higher percentages than that. It just goes to show how fickle and regional our honey crops can be here in the UK. For me, the challenges started at the end of last year when we suffered the loss of so many nukes. And then at the very start of this year, with such a slow, cold start to the season, but it's not all bad news. Our honey production colonies have had a very successful summer and the extraction sessions this week resulted in some remarkably heavy supers of honey. We've yet to finish off the extraction process and that will have to wait for another week or so until we get the bees moved to the heather, something I'm looking forward to and also a little anxious about. It's one thing to move our bees an hour or so from their home apiary, but this however feels like a major road trip. It's not really the drive time as much as my lack of experience of taking the bees such a long distance our first time moving the bees to the heather, as I've said before, and with such a journey, it's going to mean we will need to stop for a few hours once we've unloaded them so that I can get some sleep before heading back home. I think that's probably the biggest challenge, a lack of sleep, and undoubtedly my biggest worry, actually, having the responsibility of other people in the truck with me and driving a fully laden trailer so far. I think it's going to be a five or six hour journey in total if you include breaks. So I'll hopefully report back next week on how the trip went and do look out for a couple of videos along the way. That's my plan for next week, our major road trip, and it looks like we may finally be in for some sunshine and warmer weather. If the forecasters have it right, then we may see some slightly more settled weather with longer periods of sunshine and daytime temperatures creeping back up to more seasonal norms. Now remember, I'm no heather honey expert, but one of the factors that I think may influence the bees and their ability to get out and forage is the strength of the wind. And it does look likely that the general forecast is for wind strength to drop back to more gentle conditions rather than the high winds we've been experiencing of late. This, I hope, will give my bees a chance to get out, fly low and get foraging while they can without being blown all over the heather moors. 
I'm told we should only take the strongest of our colonies, as it's a hard life on the moors foraging, and we'll only get a crop of honey from the strongest. Practically, however, that's something this year I'm going to have to leave to chance. It's been so miserably wet that we've not really been able to find a day when we could get into the bees and see how they're set up in terms of frames of brood. If you've listened to my podcast for any time or watched my videos, you'll know I'm very keen on planning ahead. Well, this is one project I've not really been able to consider for this year because of all of the limiting factors that I've had to deal with. I'm already thinking about how we can maximise a crop of heather for next year. It seems to me that we need to have colonies specifically set up to take to the moors and that probably means not colonies that have been taken to the borage pollination. This will ultimately mean late spring splits being set up for a summer-long growth phase in preparation for this one task, building them up in strength through the summer in order to have a maximum amount of brood for the end of July and into the early part of August, where we are right now. That should translate into lots of foraging bees for any late honey crop. But that's all for next year. First we have to make do with what we have this year and use this year perhaps as a planning and experience trip. A learning trip, more than anything else I would say. As long as we get a little honey, I'll be happy. It's more about how the process works and what we get right or wrong that I'm more interested in this time round. That's in the weeks to come though. Firstly, the week that was, and a look back at the honey processing and how the past week has been. My honey room setup hasn't really changed a great deal over the years. It's now capable of processing a lot more honey than we had before, but the fundamentals are all still the same as our first honey processing session when I first started beekeeping, with the smallest batch of honey from just one or two supers. The equipment we have today simply helps speed up that process and we have several really useful bits of kit in the honey room that just helps that process flow. We also have, as I discovered last week, a new pinch point in the system that slows us down and something I need to rectify for next year, but more of that in a few minutes. Firstly, let me walk you through our honey room setup and maybe it will help you in your choices that you make for your extraction process. Firstly, we have our warm room. I'm not sure how we managed without one previously, to be honest. The reason for the warm room is to keep the honey at a nice cosy temperature that allows it to extract more easily than if it were taken from the hive and allowed to cool overnight. The honey cools quickly when you remove it from your hive and this makes it more viscous which in turn makes it more difficult to spin out in an extractor. Of course, some of you might not want to extract honey in this way. You might want to simply drain the honey out using gravity to do the work. Or you may cut out the comb and crush it to remove the honey because maybe you're a candle maker and place a higher value on the wax rather than the honey. As with most things in beekeeping, there are different ways of doing the same thing. It just depends on where your priorities lay and how deep your pockets are. I've slipped off topic again, haven't I? Sorry about that. Back to the honey room, or rather the warm room. It's a second-hand cold store with the cooler unit removed and a simple heater fitted with a thermostat. 
we keep the honey room at a temperature of around 28 degrees Celsius and that's perfect for keeping the honey runny in the comb without damaging it. The boxes are stacked on trolleys for ease of movement and come off the trailer onto the trolleys and then are wheeled straight into the warm room. When we're ready to extract, a single stack of 10 supers is wheeled out into the honey room and taken to the starting point of the extraction line and that's the weighing scales. We use a set of PET weighing scales sat on a stainless steel table and on the table is a little wooden contraption that pushes the frames up from beneath when the super is placed down on it. It's a really simple but effective way of getting the frames out of the super. Once we've taken the weight of the super, box, frames, honey and wax, the top bars are scraped clean of any comb and uncapped. Here's our first piece of equipment that generally has people falling into either side of a love-hate camp who've got this piece of equipment. It's a Carl Fritz brush uncapper. We've had it for several years and it's been used and then set aside, used and then set aside as my love-hate relationship has swung first one way and then back the other. Currently, I think it's fantastic. It works by using a nylon brush fitted to a motor to flick the cappings off the comb. The motor spins the brush. It kind of looks like a giant bottle brush on a spindle. And as you hold the frame close to it, it flicks the cappings off cleanly and evenly. That is once you get the hang of it. And when you're using frames that have been drawn out nice and evenly, any frames that are badly drawn out really don't fare so well. But this year it's worked brilliantly. We have it sat on top of a Lega uncapping tank, which although not designed for the brush uncapper, seemingly is the perfect fit for it. The one thing I would add to this setup is a foot switch, which it doesn't currently have. Having to turn the uncapper on and off after each super is a bit of a pain, and leaving it running while you select the next frame seems a waste of electricity. I've added this job to the to-do list. The beauty of the brush uncapper is you can take off as little or as much wax and honey from the frame at this point as you want. We take it right back to the wooden frame to even up the comb and to try to make the extraction process as wobble-free and balanced as possible. But if you wanted just to remove the cappings from the cell and leave the entire drawn comb area, with practice it's certainly possible. The uncapped frame is then placed on our newest piece of equipment bought last winter and that's the Carl Fritz 72 frame carousel. They call it a frame rack. Now this is as good a piece of equipment as we could have wished for. In previous seasons we've always had a bottleneck at the point of uncapping and waiting then to put the frame into the extractor. This giant stainless steel bowl has a frame rack carousel in the middle where the uncapped frames can be set to drain a little while waiting for the extractor to become available. Allowing the person uncapping to continue to work and uncap as many as seven more supers with ten frames in each before the frame rack is full. There's a drain in the middle to allow any honey or cappings to drop away and the stand has a little shelf beneath the bowl for a large bucket. We probably only changed that bucket three or four times during the entire process. From this point the frames are loaded into one of two extractors. These are Lega Flamingo 28 frame radial extractors with 
just whisper quiet motors, I'm still amazed at just how quiet these extractors are. Currently, we have one set up on wheels and one set up on the supplied rubber feet. The wheels allow the extractor to wobble freely and takes a lot of the rotational stresses out of the extractor when the balance isn't spot on. Here we have another important lesson. Don't buy frames from lots of different sources. Stick with one type, keeping them all the same. This really helps with the balance of the extractor and prevents it from dancing all over the floor in the honey room. Once the majority of the honey is out, the extractor settles down and is almost self-balancing. And even with wheels on, I'm able to leave it to spin at full speed while I load the second extractor, the other Lega Flamingo. The trick with extractors is to start slowly. Let it build up speed as the honey is thrown out and only go to full speed when it's balanced. There are a lot of automatic extractors out there that will do this for you, but I do like the ability to manage the speed of the extractor manually should I wish to back off the speed a little or increase it a little bit sooner. From here, the honey drains into our Lysen honey sump. This is our current pinch point. With two extractors, this one metre long sump just isn't able to keep up with the amount of honey that I'm throwing at it anymore. The sump is basically a warm trough with three sieve sections creating four holding areas. The sieves come as coarse and fine. The first two sieve sections have the coarse grids and the final sieve section holds the fine grid. And at the end of the sump, there's a shut off ball tap. The sump worked perfectly well with our first couple of seasons of use, straining the honey nicely, but as I say, with so much more honey going into the sump, it just can't handle the increased flow. And so, if anyone out there wants a licensed honey sump, do get in touch. We'll be selling this one in a few weeks' time. I need to assess what to switch to for next year. Maybe just a larger sump system. It works really well, but there are several excellent options out there, so maybe a bit more research is required. From the sump, the honey is pumped into our settling tank. The pump is a Lysen honey pump and works really well at moving the honey from the sump up a long food grade pipe and into the settling tank. Our settling tank is a large 500 kilo tank that I bought late last year and it's been fantastic. We do have a couple of smaller 100 kilogram settling tanks which we've used to great effect over the years but the increased capacity this year has meant we haven't had to stop to fill buckets midway through the day. We've been able to extract 500 kilos in one session, fill the tank and allow it to settle. The brilliant thing here is that it allows the wax and other debris to settle out. The tap is set a few centimetres above the floor of the tank, so debris generally either sinks to the bottom or floats to the surface, including all the bubbles of course. What comes out of the tap and into the buckets is pretty much completely clean honey, ready to go straight into jars with no further straining. We're finding a lot of our customers are keen to have this honey now. I'm struggling to find a way of describing it really. Unrefined, unfiltered, unstrained perhaps. Whatever way you describe it, 
It looks great, really clean and sells well. We've also been pumping the honey into barrels again this year. Bulk sales are great for the cash flow, so getting several barrels of honey out the door keeps everyone happy. The process with the barrels is exactly the same as the settling tank. Pump the honey into the barrels up to the 300 kilogram mark, cover loosely, allow it to settle overnight, scrape off any wax and debris that's floated to the surface and replace the lid before adding the locking band. So that's our extraction line. It's still under development, still needs a little refining, especially the honey sump, which, as I say, does a great job, but that we've simply outgrown. All that remains now is for me to finish the extraction and start the clean-up process. It seems no matter how careful I am, honey still gets everywhere. A right sticky mess, to be sure. Well, that's it for this week. Don't forget to check out my website, www.norfolk-honey.co.uk. And for my latest videos and podcasts with more updates, tips and techniques, it's the same Patreon page, www.patreon.com forward slash Norfolk Honey. And remember, I'm Stuart Spinks, and that was beekeeping short and sweet.